0: In a world of downloadable and streaming singles, our hope with this podcast is to look a little deeper into what influences musicians and see the impact an album, as opposed to a single, can have on an artist's work. This is
1: The Sound Effect. Body
0: Dave Dave, uh, I'm going to try to be objective today, but this is in my top, probably 30 albums of all time. So <laughs> top I, uh, albums, eh? Yeah, I would say this album to me is one of the greats, so I was super excited that our guest picked it because uh, I'm ready to gush and get like, yeah, just get really excited to talk about 1988's masterpiece. Sonic Youth's Daydream Nation. Did okay. I say I was going to try and be objective?
2: <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, that's good. I'm glad you like kind of brought it down there a little bit. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: I brought it down a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Fine. I called it a masterpiece and not, you know, a stellar masterpiece. Yes. Yeah. So I guess context wise, because people kind of probably know the name Sonic Youth, but yes. not everyone knows them. Um, Forum 1981 uh, by Thurston Moore and Kim Gordon, uh, who would later marry a few years later, uh, and then later joined by uh, Lee Rinaldo and Richard Edson uh, the as the guitar, the additional guitar player and drummer in the band. Here's my favorite trivia piece now that I will never forget. You know those trivia parts you get and you're just like, I will never forget that. I now know that Richard Edson, the first drummer of Sonic Youth, was the guy who steals the Ferrari in Ferris Bueller's Day Off?
2: Right, not the guy driving, but the uh, no.
0: The I think he is the guy driving.
2: He is the dri- the guy driving.
0: Yes, he is the guy driving. <laughs> yeah, with the longer hair. That I, just blows my mind.
2: I didn't know that. Yeah, I, I didn't that, know that. That is that is shocking. Yeah,
0: blows my mind.
2: And that is <laughs> that is an interesting piece of trivia. Like my goodness, there you go. Like there
0: you go. Wow. Yeah, you're gonna remember <laughs> that forever, right? I, I will. I want. I want to go watch that. Hot take so here.
2: Hot take. Uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off is overrated. Uh, Moving on. Yeah, Moving on. Okay. We'll
0: See. move on. We'll move on. This is not a Ferris Bueller episode. Yes. Um, so Richard only stays with them for one album. I actually, sorry, one EP, um, and they release a couple of records there. Um, start to gain notoriety in New York in the in the sort of uh hardcore scene the the no wave scene and then on october 18th they release daydream nation critically adored um library library of congress uh in in 2005 preserved it as the national recording registry uh which means it is considered one of the most important albums of all time um Yeah, so I mean, this is a legendary record for uh, for this band uh, because um, I mean of of what it kind of symbolizes, right? And like what's going to come in the next, really, the next ten maybe even some would say 20 or 30 years of music, right?
2: Yeah. First off, I wanna, I'd want i love to meet the intern who brought this to his boss's attention at the Library of Con- Congress <laughs> <laughs> you know, and thank him. Like, yeah, well done, sir. Nice way to, way to just come out of university and say, you know what an important album we should look at is? <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, you know what? I, tell me, that wouldn't be a great gig is oh just to sit at the Library of Congress and say, okay, let's discuss what's another album we need to preserve i mean what a, what a cool concept yeah. right
2: my granddaughter says this album sh- we should look at <laughs>
0: so. i mean yeah it must just be amazing yeah uh, it's, so it's worth pointing out some things right like this is a um, an album that's recorded um in new york's green street basement studio sonic youth uh, by this point had kind of had some big albums 1985's uh, bad moon rising um then in 1986 uh steve shelley who i know you and i will talk about uh joins as their drummer uh they signed with sst 1986 they release uh evolve um uh, mm. get some rave reviews by the new york times uh 1987 they release sister 60,000 copies of that album sells so they have now kind of arrived with that record
2: context the year... right context 1987. Yeah. 60,000 yeah. copies of an album by this underground New York band on uh, an indie label on an indie label in pre-streaming, pre-illegal downloading like yeah, Astounding. a pre-CD like CDs are really just coming on at this time. Yeah, and, that's right. That's right. Uh, so this is a big deal. Like this is enough to Huge. get people noticed.
0: Yeah, absolutely massive. Um, and then they released this album, which they sort of considered okay, people keep telling us our albums are good, but they don't represent our live show, so they enter into uh, an interesting studio choice because what they do is they enter into uh, the Green Street Basement Studio with Nick Sasano, um, who's worked with like hip hop artists, like that was his thing, and I think he said he didn't really kind of know how to mix a guitar (laughs) which just is kind of an astounding thing to to, you know he just didn't kind of understand what he was doing with that which is so cool when you think about it right yeah
2: coming like well producers coming from hip-hop right now you're used to dealing with samplers yeah Uh, you know you know standing there with a with an artist as he's just creating his flow and Uh, creating his rhymes and and just trying to make that sound as warm and powerful as you can. But again, uh, at at most you've got electronic drums or samplers or a DJ in there mixing beats from samples from albums. And it's just this very, almost, it must be like a a little more calm uh, environment than like, okay, these two noisy guitar players, this female bass player and this dude on drums come in and start making noise.
0: Yeah, this isn't like Nick Drake you're working with here. This no. is Lee Ronaldo no, God, and no. Thurston Moore yeah. blaring their amplifiers at you, right? Like yeah. It's a whole different ball game when it comes to yeah. guitar work here. But
2: I'm going to say the layering. If you listen to Daydream Nation, the, the layers that there, there's some similarities to how Rap, even in the early days, like of the late '80s, rap and hip hop, there are layers there, and they're developing that more. So, I still wonder, wonder, sure. wonder, like, why did they pick that studio? Like, why? What made that? Yeah, seem to be the. I think w- they just. I think I
0: read that the. Yeah, I think they just read that they liked what was kind of happening in hip hop at the time. So they they thought that was legitimate. They thought it was kind of experimental. So and they thought that it was capturing what those guys were doing kind of live. So that seemed like the perfect person to capture them live, which is just such a yeah kind of cool way to look at it, yeah. right?
2: Yeah, you um, got to get in their mindset too. It's just like, what are you thinking? And yeah, yeah, very cool.
0: So this is uh, Pitchfork has ranked Daydream Nation as number one on their list of 100 Greatest Albums of the 1980s. Um, Guitarist Magazine has listed it 11th on their list of 101 Essential Guitar Records. Uh, Rolling Stone uh, messed up and... Gave it number one hundred and seventy-one on their five hundred albums. I don't know how you do that. Oh, come on, um, come on,
2: man! Have you not looked at Rolling Stones' I latest five sure. hundred? It's yeah, it, yeah, it's true. just like how can we make people angry this year? <laughs> <laughs> I know we'll leave out a shout- few Led Zeppelin songs.
0: <laughs> that's right. Shout out! Shout out to our friends at Record Roulette um, and daydream nation uh is yeah like i said uh, library of congress picks it right so this is a massive book uh or sorry a massive album one of my favorite quotes about it is from matthew stearns who writes i don't know if you the the series the 33 and a yep. third yeah. book series which is just fantastic yeah for sure uh and in his book for this he says that daydream nation comprised the holy trinity of early indie rock albums with husker Du's zen arcade Shout-out to Ian Blurton in our second episode. Uh, The Minutemen's Double Nickels on the Dime, which was almost Ian's other pick, by the way. (laughs) And uh, as the writing that the three works together are a mark of unprecedented creative expansion in terms of the possibilities of underground American rock music.
2: Well, again, look at context, right? We're coming to the end of, like, oh, my God, we've been inundated with hair metal for... At least eight years now, and like bad, terrible sounding music, and I'm and, I, and I'm going to say sonically terrible sounding too. Like you, you listen to some of those mid '80s metal albums, they're just god awfully recorded. They just sound so yeah. tinny and so wrong, and just yeah. So
0: well, I think a lot of that goes back to the that digital production that was that was very early at this point, right? Uh, is it trans transac cassettes or something that that kind of digi uh, cassette that you were recording onto at right. the time has like very little low end and very little high end, yeah. right? Yeah, and it was so everything squished into the middle. Yeah,
2: and then the the context of the music too was just like oh, it's all parties or love ballads, right? And you right. just come into the end and you can feel the like quote unquote underground just starting to build and people looking for something different and looking for something more and more substance. So you know, you had Soundgarden, you know, on the West Coast or yeah, the West Coast starting to starting to do something and people paying attention to different scenes and yeah, and more people looking at college radio that's right, right right well
0: and you have you have rem doing their thing you have the pixies doing their thing uh, yeah like we said earlier you have husker do you have this like precipice of bands this first wave of alternative what we will nation. in a couple of years called alternative nation right yeah <laughs> So floor EP is now available and the toast of Toronto's indie rock scene the first act signed to Born Ruffian's new Wavy Haze label the band are quickly gathering a reputation as a killer live act in a review for the Toronto Star Ben Rayner uh, compared seeing them live to the Constantine's fucked up Death From Above and Mets high praise indeed we're excited to be joined by the Sham Family's guitarist Cole Sefton
3: thanks for joining us Hello, how's it going, guys? Good, 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 good.
2: The album we're talking about today is Sonic Youth's 1988 Daydream Nation. You know, kind of a legendary, it's not an unknown album, that's for sure. And, no, uh, not. but before we get to that, tell us what else, what other albums may have uh, inspired and informed your music?
3: Yeah, it's kind of hard. I mean, with Sham Family, I feel like there's so much that goes into it, but it might not be, like, totally apparent. Like, we have us four guys just listen to so much music, and we just constantly talk about music, and we draw from so many different things, and it's, like, a real wide wide, wide range of stuff, but I don't think it always necessarily like comes through in obvious ways. But, I mean, like, there's some of the obvious ones, lots of, you know... 70s 80s post-punk um like lots of wire uh gang of four um you know television you know stuff like that um and lots of like 80s hardcore so you know obviously like black flag and x and you know dead Kennedys, stuff like that there's also like a lot of a lot of like post-rock in there like we all are big post-rock fans we all had like when we all started playing in bands, we all just really wanted to be in Godspeed. So like Godspeedy Black Ember is a huge, huge influence for us. And especially for me, a lot of the guitar work in that band is like massively influential for me. Um especially just like I think for me personally as a guitarist, just like the way bands like Godspeed or like Sigaros and like explosions in the sky the way that they can make such catchy melodies just using guitars and they can tell stories just using guitars and instrumentation doesn't have to be about vocals and stuff and i think that's that's a huge thing for me but yeah i mean other than that lots of 90s indie bands you know pavement lots of Yola tango in there um i can draw a line
2: like, i can draw a line between a lot of those bands though and sonic yeah youth. You like could, I spe- you like godspeed see. uh i'd throw mogwai in there as well oh yeah, for yeah sure. you know yeah. and but the, they're all guitar oriented and just looking to do something different right so, mm-hmm. and, and yeah. that was sonic youth
3: for sure that's that's sonic youth yeah for then and, and yeah obviously sonic youth is a big one for us but uh And then, yeah, of course, there's lots of, like, modern sort of, there's a huge sort of wave, especially in the UK of post-punk that's been really cool. Lots of, you know, like bands like Idols and Fontaine's DC, um, you know, Black Midi. But, you know, like, lots of, just, like, there's a lot of cool stuff going on right now within the post-punk world. And, like, yeah, I don't know. There's just a lot that we kind of pick and choose and, and it's, I don't know, we could just talk about so many bands for a long time, so we just, I just love it, you know.
0: It's, um now for, it, when I first heard you guys, it, it was funny, I thought the same thing, that there's so many, um, whether you want to put the label post, post-punk on, we, we, we chatted last year with uh, actors and, and Adonis Adonis, and there's certainly those sort of sounds in a lot of their stuff, too, but that idea mm-hmm. that we seem to be embracing a kind of darker, slightly more um, political kind of music from the 70s, 80s, 90s. Even even you're starting to see like, you know, a, a bit of a renaissance to the Joy Division again, beyond like, you know, shirts being sold at HMB. Um, <laughs> like it, it it is strange and interesting and, and so cool that younger bands are starting to, you know, mention these bands like i mean wire like who's mentioning wire as an influence that's that's pretty cool but again like you're saying you're you're hearing it in canadian bands but yeah when i first heard you guys i thought hey there's a little bit of fontaine's dc there so Mm. it's cool that this is becoming not just like a, a small thing in canada but it seems to be like a worldwide connection to this type
3: of music yeah it's it's cool and i mean like and it's something that we talk about, too, is just, like, we don't want this to, to just be, like, one strict kind of genre. We don't want to just make this type of post-punk thing, you know? Like, we want to draw from so much other stuff, even, like, hip-hop. Like, we have a lot of friends in Toronto in the hip-hop scene, and, like, you see it in a lot of, like, sort of underground type of, like, hip-hop. And even just some of the mainstream kind of trap stuff, where it's, like, it's really heavy and it's really dark and noisy and like angry. And like, you can see a lot of really good parallels between like hip hop communities and like punk communities. And it's not that different. It's just kind of like kind of come from, I don't know, slightly different backgrounds, but kind of get to the same spot in the same heart of things. And like a lot of rappers and like punk artists are, You know talking about the same stuff and they have the same emotions and it's like it's cool it's it's just things aren't as like compartmentalized as they used to be it's just so much more um you know just mingling of genres and sounds and communities it's cool
1: Desire. Knowing that not is still time to me Can you make me mad What do you ask
0: an album that was produced by a hip-hop producer who had apparently never mixed guitars before
1: uh (laughs) in a
0: in a hip-hop studio like a studio known for hip-hop and and um and just like there's a weird relationship here between this experimental you know uh no wave, however, you want to describe Sonic Youth and whatever stage you, you're into them at, mixing with this like hip hop community, right? I mean, it's only the next mm-hmm. album you're going to have, you know, Chuck D performing on it. Like, there's, yeah, there's interesting connections here,
3: right? For sure. Yeah. It's, it's very cool. I don't know. It's, it's funny. I just feel like so many people, I don't know, just view these type of genres as just being so disparate but it's really not there's there's so much connections once you actually start to look at it it's it's cool I like it hmm
0: so okay. walk us through this album what is it about sonic use because I know when you when we chatted you were like um you were having that like existential dilemma that we love when musicians are like which album do I do yeah. um what is it about daydream nation which by the way i think is a fantastic choice what is it about daydream nation that speaks to you uh
3: and your band i mean yeah super hard super hard choice it's so hard to choose one but i had to choose and i mean like (laughs) even with when trying to choose a sonic youth record is so difficult like because obviously their, their catalog is so vast but i felt like i had to just go with the one that was it's not you know a very crazy choice but it's it's like it's the record, you know, I feel like it's just like a good distillation of everything they are trying to do. Like they have crazy noisy sections. They have really cool guitar tones and like just weird song structures, but they also have just absolute like perfectly written songs that are so catchy. And I think that's what it is for me is the, the combination of, weird experimentation and like just going off and doing crazy stuff and not being afraid to do it but also making songs that you can sing along to so it's like you know obviously teenage rides the big one and it's just like to me that's the perfect like noise rock song it's just so catchy it's so exciting it's so like like emotionally like the lyrics are emotional and they're they get you excited and they're kind of political and but it also is just weird it's a weird song like it's the hit song and it starts out with like two minutes of this weird like low-key thing and it builds up and it's just like it just speaks to their power that they can write such impressive songs that are just so bizarre and people like them and it's it's cool i really like that
2: we talked to Tom and I talked about how this, I feel when I listen to it, there's a bit of maturity here. Like they're going on what, there's their fourth, fifth album at this point. And yeah. like the songs are just like you say, they're catchy. All of a sudden there's, they're mm-hmm. writing catchy songs, but still keeping yeah. the heart of what they are. Like, yeah, uh, like yeah. What, what do you feel that, yeah, this is them at their peak and they're able, this is, this yeah. is, this is epitome of sonic
3: youth. I think so. I mean, like the whole kind of run between like sister through um, washing machine is just like those like four or five records is just so good. There's so many incredible songs between those, but this one in particular, I feel like is just like the most concise and it kind of feels like they knew what they wanted to do the most. And like, yeah, it's just it feels like they had a clear vision and they achieved it. And yeah, it's just a wild ride the whole way through. Just it never stops. It's just crazy energy and weird experimentation and just catchy hooks the whole way. It's amazing.
0: It's a weird dichotomy between that like experimentation weirdness mm-hmm. and yet something. And and Dave talked. Dave and I chatted about this. Like something as catchy. As teenage riot, which we both said is probably one of the to- the best leadoff singles on an album, uh, oh. it's so super catchy, and yet, like you said, this like experimentation just smashes up against the album. So you're like, is this a pop record mm-hmm. or is this an experiment? Like it's it's it, it's this weird little spot in the middle, right?
3: Yeah, and I mean, like that's that's what I think I love about it, and I think that's what like our band appreciates most about it because you know it's something we want to do i mean we only have like a couple tracks out so far but you know we really want to try and take hints from them and just more just like their the boldness and the braveness of it you know like just you can tell they're not afraid to just say oh well you know what let's just end the track with a six minute noise section it's like why why not why can't we do that like that's it's so cool and it sounds great and i just i just love that so that's something we always look to, you know, when we're always like questioning ourselves, we're like, Oh, is this too weird? Is this, does this sound stupid? It's like, well, you know, it works so well for them. So why can't we do something like that? You know, that's
2: how you learn, right? Is trying, yeah. like there's always some, there's that insecurity, like, Oh, is this any good? But oh. you just got to, at the end of the day, you just got to ask yourself, do I like it? And yes. screw it then um so you, yeah you, you threw out like the other the albums that they were talking about was this album the one that grabbed you from them or was it a build-up had you heard uh, other
3: sonic youth and then just gravitated to this one i feel like this is the one i started with it's kind of yeah i think the jumping off point for me um and it kind of just spread out from there so like there's i think there are a few other records i might Maybe personally like more, but I think this one is like better in a way. You know what I mean? But, but yeah, this is definitely the one that I like started with. Teenage Riot was, I think, the first song I ever heard by them, which isn't surprising. It's kind of, I feel like a lot of people's first points if you're not, like, if you weren't into it back in the day. But yeah, and at least for me, I, I like, I. I got into it late. I I didn't get into Sonic Youth until like mid twenties, early twenties. Like I feel like I should have been listening to this a long time ago. But um, yeah, I heard heard this record and I was like, oh, okay, yeah, this is like it's game changing. It just it's just game changing. <laughs> but uh, yeah, and from there it's just there's so much deeper to go in with Sonic Youth because there's so many records and they're all so varied and weird. But yeah
0: as a guitar player so that was the sort of answer as a band as a guitar player um i mean it's also intriguing right because you have two personalities who work so well together and lee and thurston but they both kind of bring different things to the table right like leo always comes across as the the more um experimental the more uh i shouldn't i mean they're both got that but Lee just is like the guitar god of the band, right? And Thurston is the pop star, right? Mm -hmm. So uh although I mean both both do their thing and both do do you know push the boundaries, but is there what talks to you as a guitar player? What are 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 you stealing anything from them? Are you using anything from them? What what influences do you take from the guitar playing?
3: It's hard to say because there's just like they just do so much. That's so cool. Um, and I feel like, you know, I, I love to play around in weird tunings. We haven't done it very much with like some of the sham family stuff. And I think it's something we want to dive into more, but like, just the creativity of it is so inspiring. Like they just do so much stuff where you're like, how did you come up with that? Like where, what made you do that? And I just love the, like, Like it just seems like they're constantly putting out new stuff and it's constantly sounding different and new. And it's just, it's very inspiring to see people who like clearly wanted to try stuff and were like learning and pushing and like just people who didn't get complacent with their sound. And I think that's just really cool. Um, And again, I think just like, especially for my guitar playing in particular, um, you know, Not speaking on the rest of the band, but for me, I just I think what really nails it is the like mixture of pure noise and catchy hooks. Like that 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 in a nutshell is what I just love. I I love to write a simple catchy melody, but then also make like six minutes of noise afterwards. I think that's just like the coolest thing. It's fun. And I just yeah, I don't know. That's what, that's, what,
2: that's what it is. What you said about writing the song, writing the catchy song, that's probably w- where I made the connection with Sonic Youth yeah. and Sham Fam. Like it just, uh, yeah, there's there's that noise, but everything, but there's the structure of the songwriting. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that's, do you think that's, is that a more of a, an unconscious thing? The, the The writing, you're like, oh yeah, that could be a Sonic Youth type sound or, uh, harmony structure, whatever.
3: Yeah. I mean, for sure. There's definitely many times where like, we'll be writing something and it's like, Oh yeah, that's like that riff sounds like a Sonic youth riff. And it's like, we don't want to like totally rip them off, but I mean, we're very different at the end of the day. Um, but like, Mm. but still there's many times where it's like, Oh yeah, that, that sounds, that sounds (laughs) like a riff they would do. And it's, and it's, and it's exciting, but, um, yeah, I mean it's also just hard to say because we only have like four released songs right now. So like, you know, we're we keep we're constantly writing stuff, and we just have such a giant backlog of so many demos that just vary on crazy different types of stuff. And like, some of it is way more Sonic Youthy, some of it not even close. So it's like, but you know, it's definitely a band that we always come back to. It's always like one of those just, you know, whenever we're looking for a reference, it's always in there in some way.
2: When you're writing the, that there's, is there the desire to, okay, no, we got to have some kind of cohesion. This song, it should still sound like us or, or do you want to just say, no, screw it. This one sounds like Sonic Youth. This one sounds like God that's,
3: that's a constant struggle with, within us. I think, because um, most of the songwriting oftentimes it comes down to cory who's the he's the singer um he does most of like he kind of does like the way thurston would do it in sonic youth like he kind of comes with the main sort of melodies and kind of lyrics and he'll kind of bring these ideas to us and then we flush it out as a full band type of deal and there's many times where Honestly, Corey will come in and be like, yeah, this this track is absolutely bananas. It goes all over the place, this way, this way, and that way. Mm-hmm. And then oftentimes I'll be like, why don't we like condense it and make it, put in a first chorus, first chorus. And like it's a constant battle between us where we're like, should we make this more accessible or should we just say, you know, whatever, let's just go crazy. And I think we kind of let go of that with the last track on an EP, which is a, a spitting image that's one of those tracks that initially started out as like a two and a half minute song. Like it was very, very different. It was a very short kind of thing. It kind of the first half of the song was the same. um, And it kind of just ended with a little thing at the end. But I think in practice one day we just started messing around with that ending And like, you know, we did that sort of breakdown thing and then we did it into that like, kind of doomy, like doom metal type ending thing. And we're just like, we're just messing around And that after the end, we're like, okay, that's kind of fun. Like, it's really stupid and really excessive, but it's fun. And we kept being like, should we just do that? And we're like, yeah, yeah, let's do it. And I'm happy with that because it's, it's I think the coolest like part of our repertoire at least like at least when we play live it's always the most fun and exciting part and like and it just feels good you know like if we did it for ourselves you know like we weren't doing it for anyone else we weren't like okay yeah this will make the song objectively better quote-unquote we're like yeah we did it because it feels fun and we wanted to hear that and so yeah it's a it's it's a constant battle, but I think we're trying to lean more into just doing doing it for us, you know.
2: The most important thing.
0: Well, to, I mean, the bands you the bands you mentioned uh, from the '90s that that was a lot of their influence too, right? That whether it's Sonic Youth, whether it's Yola Tango or Pavement, it was that idea of you know, I mean, Pavement's most famous lyric is them in the studio. Mid- it up to try and make the rest of the band members laugh, right? Like that idea of like yeah, yeah whatever, let's just throw stuff against a wall and see what happens and do it for our own purposes even though we're on a record label and have to put out a record, that's kind of secondary, right? Yeah. Uh, which is such a cool... You know, I we've done a lot of these episodes where we end up talking about the late 90s and I think that was maybe what was missing in rock in the late 90s was that kind of... Um, Tongue in cheek, let's just do it for us mentality was kind of gone and been replaced by how many units can we sell, right? And I think I, you know may, maybe that's why there's a, a breath of fresh air with a band like you guys right now in Toronto, where you're 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 coming out of a two year hiatus of live music, and you know if you, if you look at the Ben Rayner piece uh, did on you guys, it's hmm. like live music is back and this is the band to see is there i mean maybe there's something there about that that element of just let's just go and do it people are excited to live music again so let's just let's just do it and let's just see what happens and there's a a carefreeness to it i don't know but uh yeah i think all of your influences probably have a bit of that right
3: for sure yeah i mean there's definitely we're always trying to do that there's obviously like sometimes you have to rein it in and kind of just be like, okay, like, you know, let's make this good and make it a good song. But it's also like, you don't have to sacrifice, you know, excitement and fun and like weird experimentation for like making good song. And that's what Sonic Youth does. And, and it's, it's cool. We try to like, you know, at least in even our like most kind of straightforward songs, we still try to put in little segments of just like, weird little noises and like weird you know like a 30 second noise bridge or something and like and yeah it's, it's fun to just yeah just just do it just just do it you know it's pretty much it <laughs> that's awesome
0: <laughs> what's your favorite song on the record
3: i mean not not a weird take but it's it's Teenage Riot, it's the best. It's 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 incredible. <laughs> you know, it's like I'm not going on. This, <laughs> this an, is the exact You know, it's this is the exact conversation
0: it's we had. Yeah.
3: Yeah. It's sorry. This is just the
0: exact conversation.
3: Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, there's so many good tracks. Like like Eric's trip is, is also a killer track and the you know Total Crash is also so cool. Um also love just the sprawl, where it just starts out really catchy and then just devolves into noise. And then, yeah, the next track, Cross the Bridge, where it like kind of comes back in with a similar type theme from the sprawl, but it's like a little recontextualized. It's so cool, but nothing, nothing, nothing touches Teenage Riot. It's just, it's a perfect song. It's perfect.
2: It has that nice level of accessi- accessibility, but still. It's like it, it makes it would catch new fans, but also make the old fans happy,
3: oh yeah, yeah, and it's just like I don't know it just every time I hear it, it just gets me excited and it gets me like angry and it makes me wanna riot, you know, it's like it's got a cool message behind it, and I just it's a perfect song. we like i <laughs> I used to live at my old house, I used to have these neighbors who were awful. And during COVID they set up a gym in their backyard and there were these like garbage, like really awful, like finance bros who would like bring all their friends over and they'd work out really loud for the entire day. And there'd be like 10 of them. And they'd all just talk about how much they love like Ronald Reagan and how much they, they just like hate everything that I stand against. Or like, they hate everything that, you know, I stand for. I mean, and like I hated these guys. And we used to just me and my partner would go and we'd bring out like a speaker every time we were out they were out there and we'd just blast like angry lefty punk. And we'd always put this track on there. And it was always the one I started with because it always got me so hyped. And I'd try to drown out their awful H and M dressing room sounding <laughs> music. And uh <laughs> just blast. Uh, a bunch of angry punk and it was really it was it's
2: it was crazy. <laughs> hey, that guy listens to us. So just watch it, all right? <laughs> oh, yeah.
3: <laughs> One of our
0: biggest fans. That's yeah. Right. yeah. <laughs> it's funny because when we sat and talked, we were both picking our our favorite songs, but then we all all of us came back to like Dave and I both came back to but man, like Teenage Riot, like it was almost like you were forcing yourself to not pick Teenage Riot, Mm -hmm. but it's like you said, it's a perfect. You want to sound
3: cool and do something different, yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So, like we did an episode a couple of weeks ago, a little pop-up on like what makes a great pop song. So, like break it, like just if you're explaining to someone who's never heard Sonic Youth before. This song and the per like what makes it perfect? What what is it? What do you
3: that's a good question. I mean <laughs> it's it's weird because it's such a weird song. Like it it doesn't fit in normal categories of like quote unquote good pop songs, but it does it's there's It's just the melodies are so catchy. The hooks, there's so many layers of hooks. It's just like a hook on top of a hook. And it just, they all work so well together. That guitar riff is so simple, but it just like, it. I don't know what it is, but it hits these notes that just like feel good. It just sends off feel good receptors in your brain. (laughs) Like, I don't know. It's just, I think it's just the, just the excitement of it all and like just the energy they have and and you just mix that with these super catchy hooks on top of hooks it's i don't know it's hard to explain they're just a hard to explain band because it's they in theory shouldn't work you know <laughs> like they shouldn't be <laughs> as big as they are and it shouldn't work but but it just it works
2: I said that when Tom and I were chatting about it, I'm like, the amount of luck and tenacity and just stick to it that this band had to get to this point and then to get to the next level after that, it was just like, you're right. Like, this should not exist. This shouldn't have
3: happened. (laughs) No.
0: To plan for this interview was rereading Kim Gordon, the section uh, on this album that Kim Gordon wrote about in her book, um, uh, girl in the band, and it's it is funny to see how even throughout their career, even when they signed to a major, uh, they just are doing things by their own rules, and it's uncanny to think these guys like to go back to your point, and they shouldn't be as big as they are. I mean, they were, you know, headlining festivals, and yet. Yeah, they release, uh, when they release their albums and it's like, well, let's put a stuffed up uh, all that a friend of ours made on the cover and let's take this picture that someone took for the cover for Washing Machine and it's like two guys wearing matching shirts at a concert and they just use that picture. Like every every decision they made, you can just see record company execs going, Ugh. this is the wrong decision. But yet it works it yeah. so works in their favor. Right. And again, yeah. it's, uh, it, it's that a pit of like in the 19 late eighties and that SST thing where corporate rock still sucks. And then they show up and say, yeah, corporate rock still sucks. And we're going to sign with a major and we're going to keep doing this. And that just blows my mind that they were able to.
2: Well, even, yeah. even signing with a major was breaking the rules. That was breaking the rules yeah. of indie rock. Right. Or, uh, you just didn't do that if you were R.E.M., The Smiths, whatever. That was just a big no-no. And then they did
3: it. They broke yeah. the rules, but, you know, they kind of remade the rules. You know, whatever they did, they they kind of just shifted culture around them. And it's cool. Like, they would make a weird record cover and people would be like, oh, that's amazing. It's so cool Like you did that. Just because they did it and they did it confidently, you know? And yeah it's cool that they they were just a bunch of weirdos and they just wanted to make weirdo music and and they did it and they and people just followed them and said yeah this is amazing and it changed so much and it just inspires so much and it's it's very cool
0: yeah we we do a lot of talking about like the influence of that that one you know the nirvana album as this sort of pinnacle to the nineties. But when we look at this album, uh, I see way more connections to everything that follows to this record, right? Like everything in Canada, whether it's Sloan, Eric's trip, um, you know, all, uh, mystery machine out in Vancouver there, they all seem to draw a line to to Sonic youth mm-hmm. more so than, you know, Nirvana or Soundgarden, right? There seems to be this direct line to Canadian indie music and all that stuff that everyone remembers from the 90s to Sonic Youth, Yeah. right? Like, they are the thread for me. And one of the things I talked about with this record is when I'm listening to it, there are tracks that sound like Smashing Pumpkins or My Bloody Valentine. There are tracks that sound like Swerve Driver. There are tracks yeah.
3: that sound like John Spencer. Like, I mean like you know you're talking about nirvana and like obviously nirvana's records were hugely influential but i feel like nobody's making nirvana records now you know nobody's trying to sound like nirvana mm-hmm. in 22 but people are still trying to sound right. like youth. and it's like it's it still is it just there's just so much more to it i feel like it's just so much more to take and and like it's just such a longer lasting thing and like, yeah, I don't
2: know. An album you can keep listening to and hear something new and fresh even today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Just Sonic Youth are cooler. You know what They're I mean? They're just
0: cool.
3: They're yeah. just cooler. That's it. <laughs> cooler. That's really uh, it, yeah.
0: I was saying this when when Dave and I were talking too, with, for me – they are the epitome of cool. Like, oh, yeah. pavements are cool. Pavement are cool in a I wish I was that cool manner. Like, I wish I looked like I was in Pavement. I wish I played like I was in Pavement. I wish I could pull that look up, and I just can't uh, yeah. when I used to play music. And then, you know, Jay Maskus is just a cool guitar player, but he's also cool in embracing his, his nerdy oddness to him, and, and I think that's cool. But There is not a band that for me, maybe other than like early, maybe the early who, I don't know if there's a band that just to me epitomizes cool better than Sonic Youth and and all their forms, whether it's Steve Shelley on drums or they're just to look at them. You're like, man, I will never look that cool. I will (laughs) never be as cool as them. they're, They're coolness personified.
3: Yeah, I mean, each individual person in that band just has so much to bring, and like, oh, we haven't talked about Kim Gordon, but like, I love Kim Gordon. Kim Gordon is so cool. She's just the coolest. She's just so cool, and like, yeah, you know, like Thurston's obviously so cool. He's got he kind of got in some weird stuff later on, you know, (laughs) maybe not so cool at times. Yeah, yeah. Like, just especially in that '90s run, it's just. They were also just like so into fashion and like politics and like they crossed into so many different worlds and they weren't just like they weren't just like a rock band like they were they were so much more than that and it's cool they were just like cultural icons
1: This sound is grounded Everybody wants to be proud you So who's taking game for the stormy weather You're never gonna stop all the teenage letters It's time to go around A one-man show that teaches how to fail We're off the streets now.
2: Back up the road on the riot trail. Okay, Tom. So now we've heard Cole wax ecstatic about this album. I'm going to tell you that I would, again, I would love to say that. Oh, yeah, I heard this and I was right there. (laughs) and when they signed from when they finally signed to the major label i was like no nothing will be better than daydream nation uh but no i was just like oh daydream sonic youth daydream nation uh yeah i kind of liked evolve better but yeah this is good and then i just kind of moved on so
0: right by the way you've never sounded more hipster than saying i like evolve better so uh but go ahead
2: <laughs> but that that's just my take you know uh but this album is just so good and again it's, it's one of those like oh thanks cole for reminding me about this album that's for someone i don't know if you're you feel the same way but sometimes you just needed to be reminded oh yeah god i used to listen to that and i really enjoyed it but i just moved on or or forgot about it and 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 I sometimes wonder if that's like part of this whole streaming thing. It's just like things get lost in the mix, including some great albums that you put time into and enjoyed. So this was mm-hmm. a, you know, Sonic Youth. I I followed them throughout, and even I still enjoy like their last the last couple projects they had before they their untimely breakup. And they just constantly made good music. And with this one, it was a. I felt as listening especially listening to it now you're like man there's a maturity there. This band they've been around now for 8 year 8 or so years playing their the dirty grungy clubs honing their craft. You know and, uh, and first listen when you're first handed a sonic youth album you know nothing about them you're just like this is garbage. This is mm-hmm. just complete and utter noise but when you listen to it and for someone who just digs noise, controlled noise, everything from like Hendrix to, you know, Nine Inch Nails, whatever, there is some beautiful layers in there and and yeah, it's controlled noise that you only get from this band that's put their time in. And they're 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 art they're artists, they're making this music. You know, this if this had been a joke band or something, they would have ended at one or two albums, and they're like, "Oh, we're done." Like that's just fun. But they believed in what they were doing, and their fans believed in it too. It carried them over till they finally hit, right? But uh no, I love. There's this urgency you feel mm-hmm. when you're listening to this album, like everything. It it feels like. Uh, And I don't know if it's just the dynamics of the music and uh, Shelley's like drumming is just so on point that he drives uh, that music, drives that beat and just gives it this, this, you know, he, he, what I always say is Mark of a great drummer. He just plays, he could play more, he could be busier, but he does what the song requires and that's just driving it.
0: Yeah. And when he does pop in with busyness. You're just like, oh, like it's it's a, it's a like a reaction to yeah. you get that. Uh, and it's one of those cool things yeah. he
2: does that, like I've seen so many drummers, they'll do these wild fills, but don't ask them to do it again. Or yeah. they'll try and it won't sound, it'll sound messier. But he'll do that, like he'll do a fill and then be like, oh yeah, watch, I can do it again. And yeah. do the exact same thing all over the kit. And it's just, and it's almost like distracting you from what's going on with the guitars but, so it's almost like the guitars got to up their game now and it just makes for this chaotic beautiful piece of art Oh,
0: yeah it really is um i i this was my second album that got me in the sonic get so I, I got goo i was i was that was the first album for me and then i think i got this before Dur- uh, before dirty i'm not sure the order i got it into And I liked it at the time when I was younger. And like you, man, I wish I could go back and slap, you know, 1987 (laughs) Tom in the face and say, take your Def Leppard hysteria and burn it in a pile. And, you know, uh, because there was so much I missed and this was one of them until a couple of years later. And then I went back and got it. And I would say probably in the last, I've listened to it more probably in the last 15, 20 years than I did in the 90s even. Uh, Because I think I'm now mature enough to kind of be able to say, See the importance of the record, right um, and that, only, the, that only
2: comes with time too like it's oh for
0: sure it, it,
2: as i'm not gonna say we're students of music, but we're we appreciate music, and so we follow the these things that seem to last, and daydream nation is one of those albums, like interesting albums, and you read up on and you get the importance of it ten, fifteen, twenty years later,
0: yeah, for me, what I think is mesmerizing about this album is uh, you know, uh, I think the reason why historians talk about this record and and why the Library of Congress felt it needed to be secured was this is the template for everything that's going to follow in the next 10 years Um, you know the jangly pop on Teenage Riot is so akin to um I, I don't know like early teenage fan club um a little bit of dinosaur junior but but what I really hear is like uh 500 up by Sloan has yep. that 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 melody uh, you could you could sing 500 up to teenage riot and the lyrics are fun and they're energetic like that that lineup at the Marshall Stacks is just, and every time I hear it I wait for that line because it's, <laughs> it's just a cool image in my head um, there is just this pop sensibility that is smashing and gritting with the aggressiveness of the album so you have this aggressive you know it, it, it's funny that Lee Ronaldo to me and Steve Shelley and Kim Gordon and Thurston Moore are able to work together like this because Thurston to me kind of comes across as the poppier guy. Uh, on Teenage Riot, that like that jangly guitar comes through. <clears throat> but then you just have like Lee's crunchy kind of experimental guitar stuff going on. Not that Thurston didn't do that, but I think we can all agree that 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 Lee's the guy who's gonna take that guitar to a next level. Uh, that's, I think, why he was asked to join the band. And then, like you said, you have Steve Shelley going, ah, I'm going to up the drums on this and kind of take it in a new direction. And then Kim comes in with that kind of slacker punk vibe going on in the background, which is just... She, you know, in her biography, her autobiography, she kind of is self-deprecating about that. And she hated her vocals on this record. But, God, it's so works with the tone and for me they're all classic sonic youth sounds all of those things but they work together
2: yeah it's funny you say she hated her vocals her vocals are so up front and she's so in your face she's not timid and that like oh my god we got to turn the fader up on her her vocals just to make it cut through she is right there yeah and not a she if she doesn't like her vocals it's like wow like what would you do yeah. if you did like your vocals? <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's right. Yeah, she wanted to, she wanted to redo them apparently. Yeah. Because she was so unhappy. But but the thing is, like I just talked there about, about Sloan and Teenage Fan Club and a bit of dinosaur junior. But throughout the record, like when you get to Silver Rocket, Silver Rocket is Nirvana, Smashing Pumpkins, My Bloody Valentine. You get to uh, you get to cross the breeze, and that to me is Swerve Driver and like Hamilton's Tristan Psionic. And then you get to something like Total Trash, and it sounds like John Spencer playing T Rex. <laughs>
1: um,
0: <laughs> and then one. you get to, like you get to Rain King, and I kept thinking when I heard it, Rain King must have been every Toronto band's favorite Sonic <laughs> Youth song because it sounded like Squirrel and all these other bands from Toronto. I remember sounding like Rain King, but it also sounds like early Mudhoney and even early Soundgarden. There's like a darker, harder edge to Rain King, but you can just hear how all of these bands in the next five years are going to go. That's the album. That's, you know, like, like we talk about that moment. Like when you look at, the post-punk scene or early new wave and every it's like every british band has the story about seeing the sex pistols live and starting a band right like it doesn't matter if it's the joy division or if it's i think i think you two. that's one of their story like it's all it's everyone's story and i swear if you went back and asked all these people from the early 90s they're probably going to say it was hearing daydream Nation. Right, like it seems like for a lot of them, that was that was a moment for them because there's so much they whether or not they were playing music and they just kind of heard this record and went oof. Sonically, we got up our game, and they did. Uh, I don't know, but it just there's it's like a roadmap for what's to come. It, uh, you know, it's like a tarot card reading.
2: Yeah, for sure.
0: And that's that to me my mind.
2: It's also deceptively simple sounding, mm-hmm. right? You're, yeah. At that point, you're just like, Shh, "That's amazing!" And I can play. Yeah. I think I can play that. And right. then someone right. who's like just learning guitar, they're trying to learn their chords and everything, and then hears this noise, and they're like, "Oh my god! If they can do it, I can do this." Right. And right. you know, I, I, you know, you mentioned Nirvana earlier. I'm going to say those first two Nirvana albums, different drummers uh but i'm gonna say there's so much I hear in there of Shelley uh, oh yeah you know, even even Dave Grohl, who was more of a Melvin's fan at the time uh I can hear it. I can hear those well, just that that playing that driving force,
0: yeah, I hear a lot of Steve Shelley in in, uh, in and the drumming what's odd is I hear it in a drumming style I don't like uh sure. that like l a punk. Drumming that comes along where it's just, you know, yeah, and then fly across the toms. But the fills that Steve Shelley does. Uh, I think they're kind of inspired by that, and, and and you know, you and I have talked about this before. I have a, a soft spot for Deep Purple, and now everyone's like, "How are you going to connect Deep Purple to Sonic Youth?" Tom, but <laughs> here it goes. Uh, Ian Pace to me is a yep. great underrated drummer yep. because of how fast he plays on the snare. His fills up the snares is uh, is that Rudiments? Is that uh, am I wrong? Yep. rudiments is that yep. rudiments yeah yep. so he's so fast off of those and they're so tight that's always blown me away and that's where i think like i'd love to know if steve shelley's a fan of ian pace because there is this like fury when he's doing fills where it's almost like he's testing himself can i go faster on the fills the next time like there's the there's this yeah that's for me is when he's just amazing to yeah. listen to oh it's yeah. just a machine oh for sure um yeah and that just blows my mind when i when i listen to him um and i really hear that on um across the breeze i think that's steve shelley's drumming on that song is just out bloody standing Mm -hmm. it's just i can't i can't get over it uh the thing i love about that too soon too is they were trying to get that live off the floor thing and that song that ending Uh, it's the type of ending that I was listening to someone who was a not into alternative music at all and just listened to like like alternative to them was I don't know um, spin doctors I I don't know like (laughs) what what they're you know middle of the road whatever yeah and then I think they would listen to the song going why are they doing this at the end they wouldn't understand that the bands you can hear the band members trying to stop the song at different points like Trying to end it and then going, Oh, okay, we're not gonna edit here. All right, let's just keep playing this and let's seeing and then coming back into the song. And I'm just like, Yes, yes, that's what happens at a live show. That's and you, that's yeah. the beauty of a that's live it. show. Like
2: they'd probably done that a thousand times at a yeah. show that, Oh shit, we're not done yet. Okay, keep going.
0: Yeah, we're not I'm we're not done yet. We're still <laughs> I'm still in the zone. And you almost can see like a Lee Ronaldo or just being like you know i thought we were i thought we were only playing for two minutes when they were playing for eight (laughs) minutes right like i mean like i just think that's what musicians who love their instruments and love playing do Mm -hmm. right and uh, yeah i'm not a fish fan but i'm sure that that's what they would tell you too they just get into that zone and they just they're just enjoying it right yeah and to me that joy comes across in an album that doesn't really doesn't feel like it's always joyous. I think it's there, right? There's a there's a weird connection to me for that.
2: Very cool. Uh, yeah.
0: Um, and again, I think you're right. I think there's a simplicity. I mean, I, again, I think if you're listening to Kim, deceptive,
2: vocals, deceptive. Yeah, simplicity. Yeah,
0: like Kim vocal delivery and that like two get two note guitar repeat on i think it's silver rockets no it's on uh the the third track off the album um after silver rockets
2: the sprawl the sprawl
0: the sprawl yeah sorry thank you uh on the sprawl that little two note repeat guitar part they do is so easy and simple but again i think you and i've talked about this before when when a band does it, you're just like that's it like that's it you just and, you know, I'm sure guitar players are like, yeah, but that's super easy. I don't care. That's yeah. it. That's well, that to it, right?
2: Anyone who says it's easy, and I, I, I'll say this about, you know, any drummer too, it's just like, well, that's not hard. I can do it. But yeah. what were you thinking to make you think of doing that?
0: Well, like, yeah. I mean, think about the simplicity of the drumming on something like Every Breath You Take, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, that's what the song needed. Yeah. So that, Yeah. So that two-note guitar in the sprawl is exactly what that needs to go along with Kim's sort of flat vocal delivery. And God, it's just beautiful. Yeah. It's, it's fantastic. For right. Sure.
2: Cross the breeze. Is that your favorite song on the album?
0: Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, yes. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm saying that. <laughs> Tough call. Tough call, I know. I think, I think teenage riot is, is, is an, on its own plateau. Like I think it's an untouchable song. Right you know but i think after that it's across the breeze like yeah. i love across the breeze love it if that's on any other record maybe ever made it's going to be up there as one of my favorites but it happens to be on the album with teenage riot right <laughs> so it becomes so it it automatically becomes second like it's just that's how good a song teenage well when riot when, is when to we me.
2: were to, we, you told me we were doing this i was listening to this album but i would always skip teenage riot and i'm like i know this song Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, like I know this. I've heard this a million times.
0: But isn't it amazing how you know a song, you've heard a song how many times, and yet, nah I still want to listen to this. Like I still, that song is so good. Well, it's, con- it's in just, context yeah. too,
2: like you say. Like all of a sudden, you listen to it, and then like a million other songs that have been written since yes. then. Yes, like I'm, I'm thinking Dinosaur Jr., a couple Nirvana yeah. songs, just like just started popping into my head, and I'm like wow, like this, yeah, it is so influential, right? You know
0: who, oddly, I've never connected with Sonic Youth, but listening to it this time, I was like, little guitar parts here and there, and I went, yeah, yeah. Uh, and it was Pavement. Right. Uh, and what it sure. was, it it was the, I don't know how to explain it, and I'm kind of, no one can see this on the radio, but I'm kind of miming it. Yeah. It's like <laughs> where where they're like plucking the guitars out of tune right uh and just kind of running their fingers along them and i'm like that's like that's something you're gonna hear pavement do over and over and over again and i would love to know if they were doing this before this record or if it was just like yeah Yeah. that's what they got from it you know yeah
2: absolutely so again so
0: influential yeah and what about you so what's your favorite
2: for me it's uh eliminator jr oh great yeah At the heart of that song, there is one killer guitar riff that on its own could stand on its own in any other kind of rock song. Uh, You listen to that and it's just like, my God, that is so good on it. Like you take away some of that distortion and the layer of noise going on around it. Uh, And yeah, it's just that's that's what caught me every t- it catches me every time i hear that it's like that riff is so good and which is something you don't often think of sonic youth yet yeah they shred yeah. man they totally yeah. shred <laughs> so which yeah. is not something you say about sonic Youth.
0: you're right like i mean yeah they're a band who when they do pull out a riff it's great like 100 percent a terrific riff cool things a great riff mm. uh but yeah, you're you're quite right. I mean, Eliminator is a terrific riff, and again, I love the fact that they call it Eliminator Junior because it was kind of they thought the riff sounded like something from ZZ Top. Wow, uh, which is cool. And again, if you notice the thing, it's part A, part B, and part Z. Z. Yeah, or Z. Yeah, yeah. I guess in America, right? <laughs> so um, that that to me is such a neat uh, a neat little ode. And again, I think it shows I, I think there's also a weird dichotomy in the fact that they're trying to come across sorry, I guess we'll cut there for the song for you to play your song. Sure. I guess there's a weird I guess there's a weird dichotomy here too where where they're kind of owning um some references too, like to to older bands and older things, like uh, like I know there's uh Um, there, there's obviously the reference to Joni Mitchell, um, on this record and you have the CC top reference on the record. So they are kind of embracing all these forms of music too, while at the same time kind of turning music on its head, which I think is, is, uh,
2: at the end end of the day, yeah, at the end of the day, Sonic Youth is just cool. Like they oh, just Sonic you- yeah. they just make cool music and when they say yeah we listen to ZZ Top I'm sure yeah. maybe they weren't listening to like you know Afterburner and stuff <laughs> yeah. like that but no. uh, you know yeah we we listen to ZZ Top because they're music fans and something will grab them and yeah. that stuff is gonna find the, its way into their art as well and it's okay yeah you know, with when it's Sonic Youth approved it's okay.
0: Oh, absolutely. Uh, And and you talk about that cool factor. There is not, to me, um, a cooler band. Like, I mean, uh, like the fact that when you see Thurston Moore at the age he is now still pulling off that long, disheveled, blonde, (laughs) mop-top hair, and he still looks cooler than I will ever look, is amazing. Kim Gordon, um, you know, when you're just in pictures and you're like that base is like the same size as your little body. And you just look so cool. Like just, you know, all the b- female bass players who kind of came along and, and to, in many ways, I think kind of emulated her. Yep. Uh, and also um, I'm, I'm forgetting the name of the female bass player from, um, from black flag. But I think those two really kind of charted a territory for female bass players who kind of follow their lead and then when they those two just like kim gordon is the coolest just the coolest and it's hilarious to read her biography and listening to like her daughter like being embarrassed about her parents like don't come to my live shows for her band and like you know them saying (laughs) oh do they know who your parents are and she's like no and it's like you're parents are the coolest people in the world like that's... <laughs> and i always think like when i pick up a bass i i kind of fall into that lower my head a bit like kim even though i don't have long hair and i don't have her look or uh when i play the when i pick up a guitar and brian play it low like i'm more and i try and like move that elbow just jaggedy up and down like he does like it's who i emulate like i Yep, And again, like, Steve Shelley doesn't look cool. <laughs> he no. looks like he should be uh, teaching your architecture class at <laughs> a community college. And yet he just plays, and you're just like, dude, you are hungover. Yeah, like, <laughs> and then, I mean, but they're just the coolest. But again, I think they're the coolest because they... They just don't try. Like I love in the pack. that in Kim's biography, she talks about her autobiography. She talks about how um, Thurston would have, like when she went to his apartment, all he had were, like I think it was like pumas, uh, a pile of jeans and mm-hmm. a pile of dress shirts, and that was his look forever. Like and whenever you see pictures of Thurston Moore, that's what he's wearing. That's his uniform, and it's like. Dude, that's lame. You you look like like anyone else trying to pull that look off is gonna look like an insurance salesman. And yet Thurston Moore just looks so cool <laughs> doing it, right? Yep. And I mean, you think about like that, you think about the fact that no one was playing Fender Jaguars in the mid 1980s. Like no one was playing them <laughs> except for maybe him, uh, maybe like Nels Klein. Uh no one's playing. Fender Jaguars and then, like these guys make it cool to start playing them again, and then you're going to have that that kind of rejuvenation of the Fender Jaguar in the next couple of years based on on that, right? Yeah, I just think it shows you just how cool and respected they were by musicians everywhere.
2: And it changed everything
0: it changed absolutely everything. I mean, just think you know it, it would make a great shirt. you wouldn't have your favorite band if it wasn't for Sonic Youth.